Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. So good to see you. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Tyler. I am the pastor of our Goose Creek campus. And uh, I came over to hang out with the best people in the world, right? Come on, are you excited for this morning? Did you come expecting God uh, for something? If you have a Bible, you can open to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as you're flipping there, uh, I'll give some public service announcements. A lot of people are asking, and a pastor even asked me to, to tell you, our Goose Creek campus is two and a half years strong. We're in our permanent facility, and God is doing amazing things. This year, we've seen God already do so much. Uh, this Just this year, since January, we've seen over 60 people give their lives to Jesus in our services, and it has been amazing. We had over 600 people come out for Easter in our little building that only holds 170. Yes, it was hot, but yes, Jesus was there too, and it was so good, but uh, man, I just, I really believe God is just beginning, but I also believe this, that oftentimes we forget to, to remind ourselves and to honor uh, those who we stand on their shoulders, and I want to thank you as a Somerville campus for having the vision to believe in more than just what makes you comfortable, but to send out people to every city in the low country and believe God, and so we stand on your shoulders, we honor you, we honor all that you do, and uh, every single day when people say, how's it happening? I say, I don't know, they got a terrible leader, but they got a great church, and so it is... It's so good. It's so good to be with you uh, today. And, and really, as we continue our series, um, man, I really hope that God continues to do what he uh, has been doing. Break through some of the strongholds. Break through some of the walls that keep us. Because I know this, God wants to. It's about us allowing him to. And today, as we talk about something I think could be uncomfortable, and you're like, oh man, I knew I shouldn't have came to this service already. But as we talk about something that can be a little uncomfortable, I believe this, that the tearing down of something is never comfortable, but it's always worth it. And we're going to do that today. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this in verse 1 and 2. Um, you, you can read along on the screens. You can read along in your Bible because it's more anointed. But I'm going to read mine. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, not to ourselves, looking to what? Jesus, because looking to my own strength has never been enough. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today I want to talk to you for just a few moments from a subject I've titled today, He Has Just Begun. Come on, how many believe God hasn't just started something and left it? He's just begun in my life. It doesn't matter what age. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. He has just begun. Would you pray with me, Father? We, uh, we thank you for your presence. 
We thank you that you do not want us to stay where we are. There's always more. There's always more on the other side. There's always greater things. And so, God, we take a moment and say, have us. God, consume our hearts. Fill our souls. God, so that we're marked and changed forever. Father, I pray today as we open your word, God, that it would transform our minds. And through that, through our thinking, God, it would begin to transform our hearts. Father, we we need you. We're nothing without you. We worship you. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I want to ask you a simple question, one that might be uh, very easy and simple to answer in the beginning, but maybe not so much after. And that simple question is, is today, as you stand in here or as you sit in this place, how is your relationship with Jesus? It's not a profound question. It's not a question to make you uncomfortable. It's simply a question. How is your relationship with Jesus? Now, as I ask that question, there's a couple different people in the room. First of all, there's the person that feels a little uncomfortable about this because they were just trying to come check it out and they thought they were just sit here, but, but, and they're like, they're kind of squirming a little. They're like, don't ask me questions like that in church. How's your relationship with Jesus? There's others that you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You got a confident, it's so good. Pastor, it's amazing. Pastor, it's going great. I've been good with God for a long time. We answer this question confidently. Maybe there's some of us that were faced with the realities of kind of our situation where you go, you know what, I've had better days. I've had some days that are hard. I've had some days that are easy. I've kind of experienced a lot of different moments. And maybe today you're haunted by the thing that you did this week. And so because you judge your spirituality based upon one thing, you look and you say, God, I'm not doing so good because, because of this. You know what's funny about me is this question, the reason so often in our hearts it's, it's kind of hard for us to wrestle with is we know we cannot lie because the only one that matters in answering this question is the other one on the other side of the relationship, which is Jesus, who knows all things. So we, it, it makes us uncomfortable because though we can say to our friends, I'm doing well with Jesus, Jesus really knows how we're doing with him. And so the reason it makes us uncomfortable is not because the question's very hard. It's not because of anything other than the fact that we know in the moment we are face to face with Jesus and we can only tell him what is real. It can be evaluated. We can't slide it under the rug like we do with church often where we come in, put our Sunday best on, buy a new pair of shoes so that no one understands all the stuff we've been walking in. I'm gonna preach a little this morning. I love if you were too. Like, Because it's real life what we're what we're experiencing, and today I'm not here to, you see what the emotions that are coming right now, I'm not here to bring shame on you. I'm just asking you a simple question. But it would be the enemy's dynamics, it would be his strategy for you to get uncomfortable with a question that is one you ought to ask yourself every day. Because if we fail to ask it every single day, we lose sight of the real answer. And when we lose sight of the real answer, all of a sudden, just begin to slide through, just pushing through, just doing it, and, and all of a sudden, what was once a vibrant relationship with Jesus becomes casual. You see, I don't believe the greatest enemy of our belief of your Christianity is atheism or, or to be an agnostic. I don't think that's the biggest enemy. I think the biggest enemy of what we face today is casual Christianity. 
that my Christianity can be turned off and turned on as I please, that my Christianity can be a part of me rather than all of me, that my God can be, is no longer a God, he's a thing I attend. Find if we're all honest, if we're all really honest, this question is not so hard. This question's not so mysterious. It's so plain that it scares us. It's so simple that it blows our minds. And we're faced with the reality that somehow, some way, I have to answer this. And what the enemy has done is he's pushed it aside. He said, Hey, you're okay. Hey, it's, it's just fine. Hey, it, let's just keep doing it this way. And what we find is just like our faith slowly becomes casual, so does the sin in our lives. And today as we talk, we've been talking, we've been breaking down some, some different strongholds. And today I just want to go with the big uh, overarching theme. I just want to look at it. There, there's sin in our lives that we need to deal with. There's sin in our lives, and, and I know, here's how I know there's sin, and here's a good check for you. If when I said that, you came up with that thing, that was probably it. Oh, man, he, I hope he isn't talking about my sin. I hope he doesn't go on specifics, because it's awkward to sit here. But it's that thing. And what the enemy wants to happen in your life is you to brush it aside, become casual with it so that you never deal with it. Because in our culture, we just came out of a, a, a sermon about a fence, and we talked about the necessity, how do we deal with the fence when something comes against us, how do we do it? We gotta face it head on, or we can go to the Bible, because that's always a good start. We can go to Matthew chapter 18, and it says when a fence happens, we gotta go face to face. We can't just leave it aside. We can't just say, I forgive them so that I can check the box of Sunday Christianity, and I can move on with my life, and next time I see them, I still experience the same pain, the same hurt, the same frustration. But here's my thing. When's the last time you got offended that God or that the enemy in your life is stealing what God has for you? Because everyone's real offendable when it comes to their uh, other people, but they're not very offended by the enemy. But I'm offended that the enemy's stopping me from what God has on me. I'm offended that, God, that the enemy wants to steal what God has placed inside of my heart. I'm offended that the enemy comes against our children and it comes against our parents and it comes against our friends and our workplaces and our country. I'm offended that there's an enemy coming and I don't think for one second that we should treat it any differently. You see, I think when I get offended with the enemy, I should go head on. Not push it aside, it's just a reality of our culture. You know, I've I, 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 um, been studying culture. I, it's, a, it's a hot word in our, um, in our world right now, culture. You can just say culture on anything, and people feel like you're really in. So if you want to be really cool with the young people, just say culture in a sentence. Just be like, you know what? I like their culture. You know, that church has a great culture. You know what? This place, I really, I, you know what? It's, it's their culture. All of a sudden, people will be like, she's in. She's got it. But as I've been studying and I've learned that we are offended by each other so easily. We, we heard those stats last week. We saw it last week. We're so easily offended by each other. But for some reason, the opposite has happened in the church with the enemy. Is that we used to get really offended by what the enemy was doing to us. And now we just take it out on each other. I really think in your life, something's got to change. 
that we can't become settled or casual with the fact that the enemy is stealing people. It's stealing you. And so as we face it head on, yeah, I think you probably thought of that thing. It's, it's funny, and the preacher's gonna say this, but, but oftentimes when we come into church, the, the only thing worship does and the only thing the word does is remind us of that problem. And so as we stand in worship, we stand there and we try to act the part because we wouldn't want anyone to think there was something wrong with us because then we might actually get healed. But, but we, would, we, would, we, we raise our hands, but we really can't raise our hands because the only time we're starting to sing these songs, but we don't hear the words, we see our sin. And rather than dealing with it, we just set it aside. I just got to get through this service because I'm good at stashing it away. I'm good at putting it aside. I found so many of us, if we're honest, we're dealing with the same thing over and over. So I go back to my original question, how is your relationship with Jesus? Or let me ask it this way, are you still dealing with the same thing you've been dealing with since the beginning? Because some of you, I love it, wave your banner of 30 years in the kingdom, I love it, but are you still dealing with what you did in the beginning? Because God has not created a life where he wants you to be stuck in something your entire time. He wants you to experience victory. He wants you to experience forgiveness. He wants you to experience freedom. But we have to do something about that which entangles us. I can't become casual with what I face. And over and over again, we face that sin. It's funny to me that Asking that question often proposes people will judge how they're doing in their Christianity based upon the answer to one thing. How am I doing in this one area? There could be a million wins and we'll only see the loss. There can be a million other losses, but we only see that one because it's the thing we can't get a hold of. I'm here to tell you that I really believe that God wants breakthrough in your life in that sin area. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I've been dealing with this forever. I can't get past it. And I'm here to tell you that that's a casual statement about your sin. I don't think Jesus wants you to live there. I don't think Jesus wants you to stay there. And in our passage, the writer of Hebrews, he's, he's just concluded the, cha- uh, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And if you read chapter 11, it seems to be a walk down the hall of fame of faith. He's calling out a lot of people. He's giving props to people like Moses and Abraham. He's kind of walking down, and you can almost get this picture in your mind that that as the writer is writing chapter 11, he's just walking down. He's looking at story after story. He sees David conquering. He sees Moses walking through that Red Sea. It's just constantly all of these pictures in his mind of the winds that have taken place. And after he concludes this passage, After this chapter, he's kind of like, look at all that God has done. Look at these mighty people of God. At the end of that moment, he says, therefore, obviously we know that word makes us ask the question that I learned a long time ago from my pastor sitting in that balcony. When you see the word therefore, you got to ask, what is it there for? You just learned something today. You're going to sound so smart. But I really believe it says therefore because it wants you to understand that the lineage means something for you. That the hall of fame of faith means something for you. And today I want to share with you really quickly three things from this passage. We find in this passage that you need to know about your struggle with sin. That you need to know about what you're facing, about what you're going through. Because if you don't know these things, you'll sit casually in it and never experience breakthrough. 
Never experience freedom. Never experience what God has on your life. If you're taking notes, the first thing you need to understand about this passage, it tells us this. It tells us, number one, you're not friendless in your fight. You're not friendless in your fight. In verse one, we see the language, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Another way to say this is since we have such an amazing crowd of men and women of God, it enables us to step into the next moment, which it says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. It seems to make a correlation that your, your lineage as a person of God, your lineage has a lot to do with your victory. That it's not just it happenstance, it's not just something, oh, they could do it, but I can't. Can I tell you that the same power that was available at the Red Sea, the same power that defeats the enemy, Goliath, the same power that over and over shows up is inside of you. Don't limit yourself. Don't think you're common. You are not common. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with a power that you cannot explain. You are filled with something that the world can come after everything else, but they can't take the power inside of me. There's more in you. But this lineage, it does something for you. It also gives you company, gives you friends. You see, I, I think we forget, you may say, well, why would all of their wins correlate with my losses? Because you forgot your Bible. Because I don't know if you remember, you, you remember the characters that we're talking about? Abraham, Moses, David, you remember those guys? You, you remember their story? Was it always the Red Sea for Moses? Or was it a lack of faith to believe that God could use him because he had a stuttering problem? Was it always the Red Sea for Moses? Or was it the moments when he didn't feel like he could lead the people of Israel and he constantly messed up with them and over and over he leads them in circles in a desert? Oh, you forgot about his struggle. Oh wait, you remember Abraham? Just the father of all nations, right? Just always wins for him. Just amazing. All, you see, all you remember is on the altar willing to give his son, but do you remember the moment when he didn't believe God would give him a son so he took matters in his own hands? I'm not here to call them a lack of faith. I'm here to call them human. Do you remember the deaths with the winds? Because here's what the enemy will do. He'll make you think that your valleys are so low that no one's ever experienced them. Don't forget about these men. Because the mighty men, the hall of fame of the faith, as they walk down that aisle, don't forget that the hall of fame had struggle too. The only thing that makes them great is the God inside of them. It wasn't a person. It wasn't their skill. It wasn't their strength. It was God. David, a mighty man. You just remember his victories. But do you remember a man who sees a woman can't control himself. You see, men are asking a lot, how do we deal with this? And we keep it the hush thing in our culture, but we forget we have the example in the passage. We forget the man who has everything. He has everything he could ever want. He can get anything he wants, but he's got to have the one thing he shouldn't. So he takes a woman, and not only does it lead to adultery, but it leads to murder to cover his tracks. You see, you can remember the Hall of Fame, but don't forget that every single one of them had a valley which means I'm not friendless in my fight. I'm not alone in my struggle. I'm human in my struggle, but I also know when I look at them, I may be, not be friendless in my fight, but I can tell you this, I know that I'm also victorious just like them. 
I can have victory in my life. But so many are convinced it's just me. And what the enemy wants you to do is sit in a crowded room feeling all alone. Like I just, I'm here, I'm the only one going through this, I'm the only one that, that kind of sits here and can't do anything, I'm the only one that has everyone's worship and they're all perfect, and I'm just stuck. I, uh, I think it's hilarious. Um, my view of church and church leaders when I first came into church was pretty skewed now that I am one. I used to sit right up there in the balcony. Hi, we love you. Um, that's, that's the anointing spot right there. <laughs> But I used to sit up in that balcony and I used to picture, I used to look down at anyone that was on the stage singing or definitely, definitely playing drums because he was so holy that he didn't need to be seen because they put him in a cage. But, um, and then the pastor would come up and he would come up and he would talk these, uh, these confident things and he would say these things about God. And I used to sit and I'd go, man, once I get perfect, I might be, have potential. But then all of a sudden I became a church leader and God must prove through me. If you need an example, God proves through me every day. Listen, there ain't no perfection up here. There's just people surrender to God saying, I ain't got much, God, but you can have what I got. And can I tell you the same is true about your story? Don't allow the enemy to think and make you think that you're all alone in your sin because if he can isolate you, he will crumble you. Oh, but if you can get surrounded... Oh, if you could realize that there are angels and people around you. Oh, if you could realize the power of God in your life, you could maybe, maybe get free. You aren't friendless in your fight. The author of Hebrews goes from that moment and he begins to describe what we're able to do because we're not alone. He begins to describe the victory we can begin to experience. And he said, so, so let us, let us throw off Everything that easily entangles us, the sin that, that grabs a hold of us, let us throw it off. And what he's doing, he's painting a picture of the Olympics. During that time, it was a common practice. It was a big thing. They would have running Olympics. They would have these humongous race in, in Greek culture. It was a big deal. And their way of training back then was on their belt, they would tie weights to their belt. And they would run long distances with weights hanging around them. And what Paul, Paul, many believe Paul or the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, he's, not, he's creating an imagery for you. He says, I know you, you runner, you, you got this, you're running this journey. I know you got your weights on for training, but it's time to take the weights off and set them aside so that you can run the race. Because you don't run in weights, you throw it off. You lay it aside. And so it's literally taking the imagery of taking those weights off and setting them down. It's taking the things that will slow you down, taking the things that will hold you down and throw them to the side so that you can run free. And the imagery that he's wanting to create here is like an Olympian. You gotta take off your weights. Lay them aside. Get rid of the habit. Get rid of the sin so that you can step into the race God has for you. You see, every single one of us has a race. You have a calling, you have a purpose, you hear it all the time. But I'm here to tell you, it's really hard to do what God's called you to do, lugging all that weight. You ever heard of a, a person going into battle, carrying more than they can handle? No, they'll drop what's needed 
in order to fight. You're going to sign up for the race. You're going to do the Cooper River Bridge run. You're going to go out there with weights around you. No, it seems crazy to do that. People would look at you weird. But in church, we just call it casual. I don't think, I don't think we heard that one. I'm going to get right here. Because what we don't understand is it would be awkward. It would be weird. It, was, it would almost be dumb. And we would say, you would do so much better if you would get that weight off of you. We would tell people. We would help people. We would, we would look at them and say, you need to get rid of that. But in church, we say, just cover it up with something nice. Instead of experiencing all that God has for you. Can I tell you, church? God does not want you to stay there. It's not just a thing. A lot of times I hear the language, it's just my struggle. It's just my thorn in the flesh. It's just this. Hey, stop making sin casual. It's a weight. It's more than a thorn. It's a weight. It's more than just something you deal with. It's slowing you down. It's weighing you down, and it might keep you down. Deal with it. How do you do it? First thing you got to know is you're not alone in it. You know what's the most encouraging thing is, I see it all the time, you see it with the altars, you see it all over the places. People, once one's willing to do it, it's, it's almost like it gives encouragement to everyone else. And so maybe, just maybe, if you would throw off yours, we would throw off ours. Because you would realize all of a sudden, you've seen the, there's a new um, fashion fad going on, it's the long t-shirts, they wear them down to here. I don't do that because I'm already um, got a hype challenge. <laughs> so I ain't trying to sign up for that one. But, but they wear the shirts down here, and, and figuratively, I think that's what we do is we do that so that you can't see the weight. And I wish people would just get rid of it, drop it down, say, there's too much on my life to keep going this way. You're not alone in your fight. You see, you're in good company. There's a lot of people that won't admit it because they would rather have their dignity People think there's something than actually be free. You say, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the uh, word of our testimony. A lot of people don't have a testimony because we'd rather keep our name rather than saying, hey, I was here, but now I'm actually free. Just hold on to it. You're not alone. You're not friendless in your fight. So tear off the shame. Can I tell you, uh, nowhere in scripture, nowhere in life, Will shame ever be a tactic of God to get you where he wants you to get you? Shame is from one person. It's from the enemy. And the enemy is not that person that makes you feel that. The enemy is the enemy. It is Satan. It is no one else. We don't have enemies here on earth. We have Satan. You see, every person, some of you are like, yes, yeah, sort of, but there's those people. Those people just haven't been touched by the power of God. The only thing that separates you and them is that God has done something inside of their life. There's value in that person. There are enemies, Pastor. I don't have enemies except one. Because he stole those people. He stole the family. He stole people that ought to know their God and ought to know what God can do in their life. He stole those people away. There's one enemy. It's him. I'm not alone in my fight. The second thing we see in this passage is this. Is that all of a sudden through painting a picture, we see that your purpose is greater than your problem. The verse continues, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
You see, he's describing that you have a race, you have a purpose, and he wants you to run that with endurance. Now, if you're anything like me, um, my body screams it, but I hate running. Anyone? Praise God. Any? Come on. You ain't friendless in your run either. Come on. (laughs) I hate running. Running is, uh, people who run for fun, I have a high level of respect for you. I just don't want to hang out with you. (laughs) Where are you going? I'm going to just do a circle. I'll run if someone's chasing me or if I'm going to get somewhere before everyone else. But I ain't running no other time. I say, Pastor, you need to run. (laughs) It don't feel good. I hate running. Played sports for a, a while, and they always made us run. The worst thing, I used to always tell her, we would be losing in a baseball game, and there was a rule our coach had. He'd say, hey, if you lose, you got to run 20 poles. If you win, you got to run 10. So I really didn't care about winning as much as I cared about not having to run the 20 poles. So I'd be like, you get up there, you better hit a home run, because I am not running 20 poles. <laughs> running. Running is a crazy I. I'm a little bit of a, um, a terrible runner in my tactics also because when I start running, I feel like the crowd is at, the, at two places. is at the start line and it's at the finish line. So I figure if I, I know I'm not going to impress them at the finish line, so I might as well impress them at the start line, you know? And so I just start off real fast. <laughs> just zoom. They're like, man, he is, he's in shape. Yes, Lord. And just, just confidently. I take off running, but after a while, y'all know you get to cramp right there in the side. Y'all know that one? I don't know why. My whole body starts feeling it, and my face turns red. It's not good for anybody. I start feeling like things are coming out of my head when I'm running. It's just, it's wild. But as I'm running, I, I get slower, and all of a sudden, the people that started slow, they just keep on right past, and there's some people that just run the fast the whole time, and we don't like them. But um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're amazing. But by the end, I, I can't finish strong. Because I started so fast, but I didn't do what was necessary to train my body and endurance to be able to finish the way I started. And it's a tragedy, and you know what I think is even worse of a tragedy is that that's what most of our faiths look like. The, the big start, right? You come to the altar, make that big pledge, God sets you free. You can't believe his grace was so amazing that it would cover everything you've ever done. You're told you're different, and all of a sudden, the adrenaline of that, you get those wins. I read the entire Bible in the first seven days of my faith. I didn't do anything else. You're like, you really don't have a life. I'm like, no, I got to find out, because I just committed my life to someone I really didn't know him. <laughs> I'm going to find out if I got, I got to get out quick. So I read the Bible, I read the whole Bible, I was all about it, I was doing it, I had devotions, I was waking up early, I don't like mornings either, and you're just like, you're putting together, pastor, you're just not very disciplined, I know, but, um, but I, I read the Bible quickly, and I, I read it through, and I study, and every single morning, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to pray and read the Bible, because that's what real Christians did, and I was on it, and I was doing it, and I was like, I, I got this, I was amazing, and then after seven days, I was tired. <laughs> So I took a break. God, I got the whole story. Thank you. We good for a second. And I just took a break. But over time, all of a sudden, the adrenaline wears off. And it goes away. The excitement goes away. And all of a sudden, you're found that this Christianity thing is, is not necessarily a sprint. It's a, it's a long run because you plan on living a long time. And what we find so often, and what I see so often is these passionate starters, but... Not very many people finishing. 
And the writer says, he brings attention to let us run with endurance, not let, let us start off quick. Let us start off in presence. He said, let us run with endurance that which is set before us. Let us run with passion. Let us go quickly. Can I tell you that I think it's the tragedy that we become casual with everything. We just make it normal. God becomes normal. We get, we get so acclimated with God, we get casual around the king of kings. Because he becomes family, we start treating him like family. Which is good in one way, but also bad in the other. Because family, all of a sudden, you won't deal with stuff. You'll just push it aside. It's just family. We're just hanging out. But don't, can I encourage you? Don't forget, he's your father, but he's also your king. And it's time we get back into the presence of God and we start saying, I need you every single day because we can get real good at playing church. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to be this church of uh, these meetings, these things. It, it doesn't dictate our Christianity based upon how we raise our hands or how many Christianese words we can say or how many times we can understand that when I first started out, no one told me it was the book of Job. I thought it was Job because it's spelled that way. But, but we can get so casual, we can just go through the motions, and before we know it, we've already read this story, so we'll just skim through it. Before we know it, we're just going through the practices. Before we know it, we're in the 8.30 service, and we're just lifting our hands because that's what we do. But I don't know if you remember the first time you lift those hands. It wasn't just a sign of surrender. It was a plea to heaven. You better grab me. I need you. I'm desperate. I got to have you. There was passion. Can I tell you, don't get so common with the practices that it begins to invade your heart. Because all of a sudden you'll have a common heart. This is just God. This isn't just God. This is the Savior of the world. This is the one that set me free. This is the one that kicked walls down, that lit shadows up, the one that came after me when I wasn't coming after him, the one that did, looked at me and didn't see my faults and just all my sin. He saw my potential. He saw what I could become, and he reached down from heaven, and he grabbed me out. He picked me up, and he placed me on solid ground. He took a boy that had nothing on his life and began to speak purpose into my life. This isn't a casual person. You're meeting with the king of kings. You're meeting with God. So running with endurance is not, I got to get it together, I got to get better at this stuff. Running with endurance looks like this. Every day, I need you. Every day, I got to have you. Every day, I wake up the sinner that needs saved. Every day, I wake up the young boy that had nothing, but he gave me everything. You see, you don't got to coach that worship. You ain't, when, when someone needs saved, you don't got to tell them, put your hands up. You don't got to tell them to reach out for the Savior. You don't have to coach this stuff. But for some reason, a lot of times pastors and leaders are having to coach how we worship, having to coach how we do church. If we'd get a fire in our hearts, we wouldn't have to spend time on that. We could just talk about our God. They got a clock on me. I'm going to keep going. I want you to understand that there's way more on you than to let that sin problem have you. Listen, I'm not just a survivor. God told me I'm a thriver. 
I didn't just get through this. God has more on the other side. God didn't lead the people of Israel through the Red Sea just to go, look, you're on the other side. He said, there's a promised land. There's more for you. And can I tell you, the same is true about your life. The promises of God on your life are far greater than that one thing. You need to kick it off, get through it so that God can use you, so that God can help you, so that God can take you places. There's more on your life. Refuse to be common with your sin. This isn't common, it's stealing from you. We're offended by that person they took from me, that person they said this about me. We're offended by that. Can we get offended about the fact that the enemy is taking our children? Can we get offended about the fact that the enemy is stealing your purpose? Can we get offended by the fact that your sin is keeping you so bogged down that you can't step into all God has for you? Can we get offended? about our sin the way we get offended by a person. Because if we were as sensitive to those things as we are the people that said something about us or looked at us a certain way or didn't shake my hand during meet and greet time, if we were that sensitive, I think we might get free. Final thing. I gotta close, they got a, they got a clock in this place. <laughs> Final thing is you gotta understand this. How do I do this? What do I do, pastor? I, I hear you, I, I like it. You got me sweating, I like it. The final thing you need to understand is this. Your savior is also your sustainer. And somewhere around the world, we forgot to tell people that Jesus was not only the savior of the world, he is the perfecter of our faith. The verse, it goes on and says, looking to Jesus, not to a strategy, not to 10 steps, how to make your life better, not to the next book that's going to come out this year that's all of a sudden got newfound anointing that nothing ever has had before. How do we look to? We look to Jesus, the founder, the one who initiated, the one who started, and the perfecter, the one who will sustain and keep our faith who for the joy, not like, oh my gosh, I gotta do this for these people, but with joy said, I'll do whatever it takes to get these. I'll do whatever it takes to take their sin. I'll do whatever it takes to, to save them. Band, come out so I'll close. <laughs> he did whatever it cost with joy set before him. He said, I'll do it for them. I'll do it for them. I'll do whatever it takes for them. So what's the answer to your sin? It's not devotions. It's not a better reading plan. It's not more time in this and more time in that. It's not this strategy. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. Well, pastor, that doesn't really give me anything to do. It doesn't kind of give me the steps on how I'm going to do this. Do you remember when you started that just the name of Jesus was enough? It's Jesus. So here's what we got to do. How do we access Jesus? How do we get to a different place? It's a new Christian word. It's actually very old. We just quit using it for a while. It's called repentance. But we don't like to preach that because it's kind of offensive because you might actually have to be different. Repentance. Here's what repent means, to turn away. So here's what, I want you to see this, this imagery here. So right now, as 
as I'm talking and I ask that first question, how are you in Jesus? You thought of your sin, which tells me your sin became the object of your focus. And your worship every single time you come in here is focused on the sin. I want to worship, but I know what I did. I, know, I, I want to fix this, but I know what I did. I, I see this. But, but the writer says, what do we do? How do we fix this? Look to Jesus. It's just, it's called repentance. Turn away from the sin. You want to stop it? Try to stop it. Because somewhere along the way with sin, we just started going, well, this is just the one I struggle with. I refuse to be defined by something that's stealing from me. I'm not going to be Tyler and I struggle with this. As long as there's breath in my lungs, as long as there's life in this person, I refuse to let anything have me that his name ain't Jesus. And I will push and I will go. Well, well pastor, what do I, well, turn away. Stop being common with it. Pastor, this is kind of offensive. Good. Maybe you'll focus on this offense rather than the person that didn't shake your hand. Turn away. It's always been a struggle. Turn away. Don't let it define you. Don't let it steal from you. I got three services to preach and I'm out of my voice. I wish somebody would worship God and say, Jesus, I need you. I still need you. You didn't just start this. You're going to finish it. You didn't just do this then. You're going to do it again. Stand to your feet right here. If you're one of our prayer people, I want you to come. I want you to come. We got five minutes to do something here, but can I tell you? Can I tell you right now, you want to get set free, you decide now. Don't entertain it. Don't be casual with it. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't feel like I, no, you run. You know what I love about Joseph? When sin knocked on his door, he left the coat and everything and ran. You ought to do the same. Because he has just begun. His purposes have just begun. His freedom for you has just begun. His saving grace, oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. His power, you haven't seen it yet. He has just begun. There's more with God. He's just begun. So let me ask you today, how's your relationship with Jesus? Just you and Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.